Hey everyone, if you're around the Nashville area, Saturday, January 25th, Zach and I are doing a presentation as part of a drum day event at Lane Music in Brentwood. That's 1 p.m. Saturday, January 25th, 2020. The address is 1625 Galleria Boulevard. Zach and I are very honored to be a part of this drum day hosted by our friend Ben Hans. The day will feature a presentation by Jeff Brown. And lastly, the day will feature Jared Pope. And Jared will perform and give drum tips about playing many genres of music. All three of these people, Ben Hans, Jared, and Jeff, were all podcast alum. And we're just excited to be a part of this. So join us for Drum Day with Jared Pope, Jeff Brown, and the podcast Working Drummer, Saturday, January 25th at 1 p.m. at Lane Music in Brentwood. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Today I'm talking with Harold H.B. Brown, who has been touring with British singer Jacob Banks. He's been in Atlanta since 2012, and in that time, H.B. has also played with some indie artists based in the region, such as Faye Webster, and has been active in the CCM world, touring and recording with Chris Tomlin, House Fires, and Crowder. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive video content from our former guests. We're adding to it regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and feel free to contact us on those platforms as well as through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So HB is a very soft-spoken cat, both personally and musically. He prides himself on never feeling the need to play particularly loud or fast, but as you'll hear, he's found a lot of musical situations that his understated style fits into perfectly. So here we go. Hope you dig this. Do you go by HB because when people search Harold Brown drummer, the guy from War shows up? That's exactly what happens. <laughs> I, I was, uh, and I didn't even really... It never dawned on me that that would ever really happen until I was on the phone. This was like uh, probably three or four years ago with Bill. Um, he's the the owner of CNC Drums. Yeah, yeah. And do you play like, CNC you Drums? Know, I don't. But okay. at the time, I was about to. Oh, gotcha. And I was like, Hey, man! Like, just looking to get a kit made. Um, my, my buddy has one. He was like, Are you for real? This is Harold Brown. And I'm like. <laughs> And in my brain, I'm like, because at the time I had done like a few kind of big things, or whatever. I'm just like, this is, this doesn't feel right. Like you shouldn't know me. <laughs> right. You shouldn't so, be this excited about. Yeah. Me. I'm like, I'm. It's like nah. And then we're talking, and he's like, oh, awesome. He's like, yeah. So how is everything going? Like, how have you been? Like, I just want to know everything. And I'm just like, I've been good, but I feel like. I'm not who you think I am. Right. And he's like, no, you're from the Ben War. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Didn't hear from him after that day. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's a drag. Yeah. Man. But, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I, I spent seven years in Kansas City, and, and those drums are, are made in Kansas City. Yeah. That's like the hometown oh, that's awesome. drum brand. And I never really played them. They were just always like too expensive and just yeah. kind of the wrong, not not quite my vibe. But yeah. they're beautiful drums. Oh, like, they, do, they, they do the dead thing very well. Yes. They for do sure. it very well. For sure. Um, so... Uh, your main your main gig is with uh, Jacob Banks. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? I've been with Jacob for about three and a going on three and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a minute. So before we get into just your musical responsibilities, how does a drummer who grew up in Savannah and lives in Atlanta yeah. get on the radar of a singer who was born in Nigeria and grew up in Birmingham, UK? <laughs> yeah. Like what? <laughs> How did this happen? Um, man, I it's I have a close friend. His name's Daniel Byrne. He's mm-hmm. a he's a guitar player, and he so I moved I moved to Atlanta two thousand twelve, I think two two thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah, and uh, moved up here with a with a band, and we all were in college together, played music together, and. Things were great, and then it, the band just didn't pan out, just didn't work out. Yeah. And um, from there, I just 
kind of played with another buddy who's a singer-songwriter and just kind of met a few different guys and ended up meeting my buddy Daniel. And he moved to L.A., I don't know, maybe six-odd years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I got the call about three years ago. Um, and the gig wasn't even really really supposed to be mine. It was supposed to be for another guy, but he had some family. Like, an emergency came up, so he couldn't do it. Daniel called me and was like, hey, look, I need you to learn this, blah, 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 do this for me. And I, I mean... The span of me learning that and having to do it was a very small window. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a lot of prep. So did it, flew to L.A., um, did, I think we had maybe a day of rehearsal, maybe a day or two. I can't honestly remember. And then we went on our first tour. Wow. From there, I've been with him for about three and a half years. Right. Yeah. So the the guy, the other guy had a family emergency and yeah. never came back. Yeah. He did, well, <laughs> well, he didn't even start because Jacob, Jacob had just signed... Signed over to the U.S. side of Interscope. Got it. Okay. So that was his first tour. I've been with Jacob since the start of his U.S. run. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. anything. So it's kind of been a cool a cool thing to see and watch him grow as an artist and also us as a band. So. Yeah. And so talk about, like, talk about that trajectory. The begin, like, you know, he's brand new to the U.S. He's got yeah. a, new, a new U.S.-based team. Yep. Right? And, uh... Yeah, talk about just the the kind of upward uh, upward climb since then. It's been it's been really awesome. It's been kind of like a weird. Uh, I don't want to use the word weird. It's been interesting because I've seen a lot of things um, that I wouldn't have expected to see, not in a bad way, but mm -hmm. like in just a good way. Just the response of people, and you know. Um, so just to give a little a little backstory, before I did the Jacob gig, I was on a bunch of. CCM and like worship um, bands and groups. So right. I've I've had some experience in touring and you know promo stuff and festivals and all that stuff. Right. But being with Jacob, it's been the complete opposite. So for me, I've been used to this one side of thing, and now getting to see it on the opposite spectrum has just been like, you know, mind blowing and eye opening. What and what do you mean the opposite spectrum? Like as in. CCM music and secular music, and I hate saying that because it, it just feels wrong, but yeah. uh, CCM music is contemporary Christian music, if some don't know. And secular music is any music that's, you know, outside of the church. Right. Um, and doing CCM music is, is a bit different, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I still have close friends that do CCM music, and I love them. I love what they're doing. I'm actually going on a tour with one of my close friends at the end of the month who is a CCM um, artist, mm -hmm. but it's a different, I feel like it's a different crowd. In terms of the musicians? Yeah. yeah but yeah. just, because it's obviously a different crowd like, in terms of the audiences. Yeah. But it's but. like, so like sometimes like, let's say like a CCM artist will get asked to do a conference. Uh huh. So you're just being asked by the, by the actual, you know, owners or the actual people that are putting on that event. Right. That doesn't mean that people will show up and like sing your songs. Uh huh. And there's obviously another background of like why you're singing it, like your religious reasons and all of that. But then it's like showing up to a festival in Chicago where you're playing to, you know, 20,000 odd people. It's, it's just a different feeling because these people, you know, aren't there because they have to be there. Right. Or aren't there because it's like, oh, I want to see this speaker. And while the speaker's speaking, we have this band that we asked to right, be Right, right. So it's a different thing. And that's not to say that sometimes we aren't asked to do uh, corporate gigs where it's sure. like, hey, come play this thing, and you get paid a big piece of change, which is awesome. Right. But you're saying in the CCM world, m more often, you know, people aren't there to see the band necessarily they're yeah, there for sometimes. a bigger reason yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah and I, and I and i i i will say this i don't think that is a bad thing i think that's awesome sure because if you're if your overall purpose in supporting the church and being behind any type of religion that you believe in yeah i think that it's awesome that you're not just there because of a band because then that would be weird it would be like you're not showing up because you actually believe in whatever god that you believe in right you're showing up because it's this guy on stage singing right right so yeah but i think it's it's just been it's been an awesome experience and it's been great to see both sides 
of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. As in music from church and the music from the outside. Here's something I've been wondering about the CCM world. Is everyone, like, you've, you've played with artists like Chris Tomlin and yeah. Crowder and yeah. House Fires, like yeah. some of the big names in the CCM world. In your experience, is there, in terms of the musicians that play those gigs, yeah. is there a, a diversity among them in terms of their faith background, or is everyone involved in that kind of on board and a believer? And because I know the reason yeah. I ask is because with church gigs, just with regular like yeah. every Sunday church gigs, you know that's that's kind of attracts all people for yeah. the sidemen gigs. Oh, you yeah. know, whether or not you're Definitely. a believer, tons of people play church gigs. Yeah. Um, so in the CCM world, like, what's your experience of that? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to play it safe. Um, I'll say this, man. I, I can't I can't really speak on anyone else. I can only speak for myself and my friends that, you know, trust me. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this. I don't think with Christianity, this is about to get off for another tangent, but I'm going to try to focus. I'm going to try to focus. So musicians, um, me being myself, I've been, I was brought up in church as a kid. I've been playing drums since I was like little, like really little. Mm-hmm. And... My religion has shifted, you know. I've grown as a as a person, and the way I see God when I was five is different than the way that I see God now as mm-hmm. a twenty seven year old. I, I would hope so. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. Um, but by me saying that, it's that you know, y- y- your faith isn't always going to be as strong as it was, mm-hmm. or maybe stronger than. And when it comes to playing, I think, for Christian music, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be, you know, the best Christian there is. Right. And I don't even like saying that because it's not, I don't think that's like, I don't think that's like a truth thing. I don't think you can be like the best Christian. I think that, you know, your faith will always evolve and you will be learning more about the God that you believe in Mm -hmm. and that will be changing you. So some days you might wake up and you might be like, you know. I'm tired. Like, I don't feel like this. Like, I don't want to go to church. Like, some days I don't want to, you know, have to do these things or, right. like, want to go dig deeper into these questions that are bothering me. But then there's some days where I do want to wake up and I want to, like, figure out, like, dang, this is actually bothering me. Like, why do I feel this? Like, what is this actually about? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think when it comes to musicians in the Christian world, I don't, I don't believe that everyone, like, you know, is always, you know in their strong faith game. I think that someday some people can be off and I think that's the beauty of, you know, mm-hmm. your walk in faith that, you know, every day isn't going to be good, but as long as you still try to keep a level head and like believe, you know, I think that that's, that's good. Yeah. 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 And so has it been a minute since you, uh, played those, those sorts of gigs? Cause it seems since Jacob Banks, like yeah. you've been doing more. Yeah. I've been doing a ton of other session work and, um, other secular music. I literally this week, this past week. It's, this is funny that we're having this mm-hmm. podcast now. This week, this past week has been like one of the busiest weeks, just of like being organized, like time management, practicing on my own outside of the normal rehearsals. Um, I played for a church Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon with Stefan, right? Or was was it with Stefan oh, Cashman? No, 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 no. So that so so Stefan, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, okay. I can plug them. So <laughs> yeah, Stefan is my homie, man. I love him to death. Um I Stefan Stefan Cashwell is a great singer songwriter. Like he's the best. He does he does CCM gigs, church music, he does yeah. secular gigs. He's, he's a prime example. Yeah. He is a perfect example. I'm yeah. glad you brought his name up. So Stefan is uh, a part of this worship. I don't even, I don't want to get this right. Tony and Jay, if I get this wrong, I'm sorry. Um, But it's a worship collective and it's called uh, Maverick City Music. So Mm -hmm. they host different writing camps and different um, just meetings of like different writers and songwriters in the CCM world. And they'll have like a week of writing or like a few days and then we'll do like a live recording. So we've done a few recordings for other artists that are part of Maverick City. And this week we did... A recording for Stefan and Lizzie. Um, and their band name is actually called Wilder. And if you go on Instagram, I think it's 
wild.erband. But, yeah, so we did their recording, but it's not, this is wrong, it's not a part of Mav City, it's on Tribal. And Tribal is like this app, this platform where all of the organic worship moments happen and like they'll put it up on like videos and I think they also do like uh mp3 uploads or whatever it's kind of like mm-hmm. a spotify but for like ccm world yeah um which is dope because I think that is there is a need for that you uh-huh. know? um but yeah Stefan is like the he's a special perfect. dude yeah man yeah. and he's so genuine like, yeah he's just a genuine guy who loves his faith and loves music and you can tell it yeah. every time he sings for sure for sure. Yeah. But you were you were about to talk about something else. I interrupted you. <laughs> I derailed you. My brain. You said this week you were practicing. You oh, yeah, 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 church. yeah. So, prime example. This week was like a super busy week, but it was on the opposite spectrum of things. It was me back into the CCM world. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say back into the world as if I'm, like, not still in it. I am. Mm-hmm. A lot of my close friends and homies are CCM artists, writers, producers, and I love them to death. I love what they're doing. I support it. And, yeah, I think it's amazing. But this week I had rehearsals for uh, House Fires. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a live recording next week. No, this Sunday coming. Um, and had a rehearsal for North Point. I played there Sunday morning and afternoon. Which campus? Uh, four services. We did. Uh, I was at the Alpharetta, which is like their main campus. Oh, cool. And then they just opened a new campus in East Cobb. Um, okay. And we did two night services there. Wow. And then after that, uh, what else did I rehearse for this week? Oh, then we did the recording with Stefan and Lizzie. Right. Um, so it was a CCM week. Bro, it was <laughs> packed. Um, it was, I will say this, I was tired yesterday. <laughs> Sunday night when I got home, I was like, how did I do this? This past week has been. Because literally every day I had a rehearsal, but every day it was a new set of songs. Every day it was like, okay, switch off to that because this is now different. Like, right. this is how you have to play this because it's not as free flowing as this. So you have to, like, kind of trick your brain into, like, learning where to fit the pockets in or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was, yeah, man. I've been fully, full on back in CCM World. When are you going back out with Jacob? Monday. On Monday? Yeah. Where so are you Monday going? we fly uh, I fly to Russia. Holy shit. And we're doing we're doing I think five shows, seven days. Wow. So I'll be with Jacob from the twentieth to the twenty seventh. The twenty eighth I have a rehearsal with my buddy Pat, Pat Barrett, who's a part of CCM World. Um, and then we're doing a rehearsal 28th, 29th. We bust out and do a tour with him. So, Man. Yeah, man. Full month. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, do, you know, do your musical responsibilities with Jacob Banks diverge very much from uh, what you have done before that? Like the CCM world? The, I mean, did that, did that gig present challenges for you from the drum chair? Um. I will say, hmm, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah, no. No in the sense of, like, with whatever gig you're playing, whether it's CCM or Secular or whatever, you always have to kind of be prepared for whatever's going to come your way. Mm-hmm. Like, so just to give an example, when I was on the House Fires gig, it's a, it's a kind of, like, that style of music is very free-flowing, like, not very electronic or heavy into the, like, SPD or, like, any 808 stuff. Right. It's very organic. Um, but then when I did this stuff with Crowder, I did, like, a like a festival run a summer with him. And it was a lot of 808s. Because at that time, he did an, uh, a record. I think it was called Neon Steeples, where it was, like, uh, a lot of 808s mixed with, like, kind of this country thing, bluegrass thing, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But it kind of made my brain flip and like, oh, like, okay, so now I'm using triggers, SPD, like, I'm doing other things while still incorporating playing what I was playing before. Mm -hmm. So that kind of set me up for success when I moved into the Jacob world, because then I was doing a ton of triggering, a ton of sampling from the actual record stems, like breaking all that stuff down. So I, I would say it wasn't any challenges, but 
there definitely always is. Like I showed up to rehearsal and I I always travel with like a little small interface and like my laptop just to do like production stuff on the side or like if I need to cut up any samples for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up running playback for the whole first tour. Wow. And that was like the first day rehearsal. Like, yo, can we use your stuff? And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it works out when you're over prepared. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, have, have you had to learn new music since you started with Jacob, or has it been... Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jacob loves to... Uh, he writes a lot. So he released an album, probably going to get this wrong, either a year ago or a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And since that album was released, we've he's added, I mean at least three or four new songs and he's about to release a new record mm-hmm. um have you gotten to play on any of them or is that a uh, separate crew no so we have so so he works with a lot of uh producers and he also produces himself like mm-hmm. he co-produces um on the last record we did get to 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 help out on a few things and he's uh brought us and we actually did a commercial for extra gum on the last tour. So, like, on some of our off days, we would go to a studio and work with him, which mm-hmm. is a really cool and encouraging thing to see that, you know, you can work with artists that actually want to use their band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because some artists, they aren't like that. And I don't sure. think there's any, you know, intent or, like, bad intent on there. And it's just, that's just what they want. Right. And sometimes it's not even their call. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. You know? Sometimes it's, it's not the producer, the label, the whatever. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's it's starting to happen again. Like my my partner Matt on the podcast lives in Nashville, and he oh, interview, dope. he interviews a bunch of Nashville guys, and that town is like they they invented that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just oh, yeah. like the session guy does the record and the touring guy does the tour. Yeah. Um, but I feel like more and more people like they have their band. Yeah. And and they want their band for the record or at least part of it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And uh, another great example is is Kevin Leon. You know Kevin? Sounds very familiar. He he just got the gig like a year ago or a year and a half ago with St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually... Wow, I met him. Yeah. I met him. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So they put out a record like not long before he joined the band. Okay. Um, and they're getting ready to do another one, but they're just taking the band... Yeah, into the studio. Into the studio. You yeah, there. It's, it's no. I think it's starting to come back. Yeah, I, I hope say, it is. I love know? that. There's yeah. an artist here in Atlanta that I um, work with as well. Her name's Faye Webster. I we, have heard that record, bro. It's a so, great record. If you love her, her uh, last record, her new record is going to be even more incredible. We cool. we did a few sessions in uh, Athens, and just the feeling of being in one room with each other and being able to create, it just feels. There's like magic in that that I think has been taken away when we produce music the other side of things, which is cool. I like both ways, but I'm just saying that there's something like like when you put on an old Al Green record or mm-hmm. like any of the old stuff and you feel that, you know, the gel of musicians playing together in one room. It's just yeah. something about it. Man. Yeah. yeah. That's what great records do, man. They they uh they just put you in a little world. Definitely. And part of that world is the room that those exactly. people were in. Yep. You know, and if you can't get a sense of that, it's it's hard for me to kind of latch on to a record or a yep. song. Like if I don't if I don't get some kind of vibe, if I don't get the impression that I'm just like opening a door to a house yep. and you get to explore the different rooms in the house. Cause sometimes it just feels like you're opening the door to like I don't know what, a hotel or a convention center. Yeah, absolutely or, right. It's nice. Yeah. Like, it's really nice, yeah. but I just don't yeah. get any good vibes from it, you know? Yeah, man. It's different. Um, so speaking of Faye Webster, I I got your info. The reason you're here is Robbie Handley. Um, wow. Yeah. Be- that, okay. <laughs> Robbie is one of the... I'm just going to take a moment to just... Take a moment. Yeah. Robbie is one of the most kind human beings I've ever met. Mm-hmm. So I met him, just a little backstory. I met him through uh, a buddy of ours. He's a producer. His name's Ben Daniels. Mm-hmm. And no, 
I'm wrong. <laughs> ben, you're going to hate me because I'm thinking of two different guys. His name's Ben Allen. There you go. That is his last name. Okay. It's Ben Daniels. I'm terrible. <laughs> he is a, uh amazing producer, and we were doing this record for an artist called Hazel English, who's living in L.A., but she's Australian. And um, I remember I came in a few days to prep some stuff, and he was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to get this bass player to come in and track with you. And I'm like, oh, awesome. He was like, yeah, his name's Robbie. Um, you guys probably know each other. And I was like, I don't know if I do. Mm-hmm. Robbie walks in, and I was like, wait, I have met you before. So Robbie was, um, well, he still is. He's, he's close with one of my buddies, Anthony. Um, Anthony, and I met him uh, a pair of. Yeah, yeah, I know Anthony. So he, I think they met because Robbie pulled him in on the ATL Collective. Sure, stuff. yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I met him once at like this session um, at a studio that my buddy owns. And I hadn't seen him for like maybe like, I don't know, a year and a half, mm-hmm. maybe longer. So then when I, I saw him at the studio and we started playing together, I was just like, yo. This guy is incredible. Yeah. Like he, it's like, I can't remember what who I was talking uh, to him about. I was like, it's like having a like a like a red Ferrari in a garage, <laughs> but you're driving it like it's a like a like an '80s BMW. Yeah. Like you're just cruising, <laughs> but you know under the hood, like you got it. Like right. he is so. He's an incredible musician, but even like more incredible human being. Like he's shit. Like you can just feel how much he cares. Totally. Yeah. And that's, yeah, man. And just the most gentle soul, like... Dude. And his playing is unlike any other bass player or musician. I Like, he... I I can tell he is just listening so hard. Oh, yeah. Every second. And he'll pick his spot, like, he'll pick one or two spots in a song to just, like, choose a different note to counterpoint whatever's going on. Like, Bro, it's, it's really yeah, insane. Yeah, man. Yeah. He's we, one of the most melodic bass players. Yeah, I was I've about to say, he with. can play, like, and he can play everything, though. That's not, like, he's not just a one-box guy. He's right. not just an Americana guy. He's not just a Latin fusion. He's not, this guy can play everything Yeah. well. Yeah. Like, he's well-versed. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, man, he's incredible. And what's even more incredible about that, and I, I like it, he he got me thinking about drums in this way. Yeah, he has a couple different bases. Yep. Uh, but you know, for for the for the huge variety of music that he plays, yeah. he doesn't have a huge variety of gear. Yeah. He doesn't have a huge variety of technique. At least to my eye, yep. to my no, ear. No, you're absolutely right. Because more often than not, he's just playing that that Fender Jazz yep. with a pick. Yep. Uh, and you know sometimes he'll use a different bass or not use the pick or whatever. But like he's figured out his sound, his approach to it, and he can apply that to so many different kinds of music. You're absolutely right. And I've been thinking about drums that way. Like, yeah. It, it, did, did you find that? Like, do you do you take that approach of like yeah. I wanna I wanna zero in on what my thing is yep. and figure out how to make it work for a bunch of different shit. Yeah, I, I think I'm. It's funny. It's it's taken me 27 years to get to a place where I feel like I'm finally, I'm finally finding my own voice. Because mm-hmm. you have a lot, like, you know, growing up, you have a lot of idols and you look up to a lot of drummers, like right. all these awesome guys. And it's like, man, like, I wish I could do that. And I don't think it's intentional that we play like these, like these other guys that we look up to, but it just happens because you learn it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I feel like, just this year and just like last year i'm I'm getting into the groove of like this is what hb does this mm-hmm. is what hb brings to the table and i'm starting to like it um but yeah i i definitely have been looking at music in that way yeah and does that in terms of like what hb does does that have more to do with um like sound and tone or vocabulary and content or yeah that's a good that's a good thing man i I think it's mm, i would say vocabulary only Mm -hmm. because of this thing of like no matter which kit i'm on you know i'm gonna sound like me it's like if john mayer picks up any guitar Right. He can play a first act guitar. He's still going to sound like John Mayer. Right. He can pick up his, you know, PRS signature. He's still going to sound like John Mayer. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, yeah, like when I have my own kit and I have it tuned to the, you know, way that I like it, you mm-hmm. know, that's me. But I think I'm also me when I have to pull up to a random bar gig and, right. you know, 
I don't have my own snare or own kick, but I can still give the people, you know, just me. Yeah, yeah. Robbie was talking about you, um, and he said, man, like, HP's just got that indie thing down. <laughs> and, I like, for, for a minute I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> First of all, what is the indie thing? <laughs> Second of all, like, is there such a thing as indie drumming? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. have, have third, how do you get it down? Yeah. Man, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that statement? <laughs> <laughs> if Robbie said it, I don't even know. Now I feel like I'm, man, uh, God, dude, I got to stop blushing. <laughs> Robbie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I've, I've actually heard someone say that before, but I think it's, I think they may be saying that because I play so so many different styles of music mm-hmm. and it's kind of morphed into just what how I am so I think my approach on things is just because I've been in so many different environments mm-hmm. and played certain ways for so long and then it's changed to this and it's changed to that and yeah it's like you've taken a little bit out of all of those things and put it into one thing yeah yeah I think I think part of what he's talking about in terms of your playing is just touch and dynamics. Okay. Um, yeah. Because just watching you play, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't ever see you play really loud. No. Like, I don't. That's not. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. Nah, nah, man. I don't. I don't think it's called for. Right. Yeah. Right. So where did that come from? Did you study jazz? I mean, you mentioned you went to college. Like, Yeah, I did go to college. This <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I went to, uh, so I grew up in Savannah, went to Georgia Southern, which was like 30 minutes outside of where. Is I grew that up. Valdosta or? Uh, Statesboro, Georgia. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's like. Right down, yeah. down the same area. Um, I went there for music education and music performance. And I was in college, but I was never in college. <laughs> like. And I mean that to the full extent. I was. I remember being in classes, charting out music for like gospel choirs or like corporate bands or like jazz nights. But it's where I got my start, and I would do it all over again if I could. Like it, it's. It, it was a. It was a great um, launching pad for me because I. I got to meet a ton of different people, a ton of different bands, and yeah, it was great. But I didn't. I never. I wouldn't say I learned. That's going to sound bad. I would say, mm, yeah, I didn't really learn a lot in college. <laughs> some people don't. Yeah. And and some people do learn a lot in college and then don't really use any of it. Yeah. Um, it's a it's an ongoing conversation on, on the podcast, just the, the yeah. pros and the cons of a, of a college music education. Um, but, like, technically or musically, did it, did it represent a, a shift for you? Oh, yeah. In terms of how you played? Yeah, it kind of that was the first taste of me teaching my brain how to turn on and turn off different fields of music. Yeah. So um like before I said I, I like grew up in church and then I did so I did all music through high school, middle school, I did jazz band, I did indoor drum line, marching band. Same shit all most of, of us that. do. Yeah, so you know, yeah, you, yeah. you've you've grown up and you've done all of that, but I feel like the first time I actually got a taste of like being out on my own mm-hmm. playing music. Um in college I would play whether it was like a Wednesday worship set and then from the worship set I would go and play some bar where it's like a bunch of covers. And then from the covers I would go and play some um we played I remember distinctly we played this jazz set for a it was Congressman John. John Lewis. I think so. Yeah, or someone. This was this was a while ago. Right. But um, he's he's our congressman. If you live in Decatur, like he's. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Marched on the Pettus Bridge with King. Like. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that so so we played that. Anyway. But, but but I remember <laughs> that that set. It was a moment where I thought. Because in that week, I had played like four or five different gigs, but it was, I was just realizing that I was learning how to turn my brain on and off of like playing straight ahead jazz to playing like Americana rock to pop, whatever the cover gig was, Mm -hmm. to playing worship music, which are all different. But it was the first time I'd like, 
you know, visually, like, remembered, like, oh, like, I'm actually doing the thing that I've been, you know, learning how to do and, like, self-teaching myself to do. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, if I'm playing a straight-ahead jazz gig, I, I don't I don't have to, you know, play the snare the same way or play the hi-hats the same way or crash in as if I'm playing a straight-ahead rock group. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely, yeah. I feel like you've taken a lot of, you've taken, like, jazz hands. You've taken these, yeah. like soft nimble kind of jazz hands and and applied them to everything not jazz because i mean you know do you yeah. play do you play jazz anymore no, not not anymore right yeah not anymore but you do have you do have just that soft i mean you might not call it a jazz touch per se yeah. but it's just a soft touch yeah um and i've been i've been trying to like rediscover that myself i played nothing but jazz all the way through my 20s oh that's amazing i lived in kansas city um and you know since i I spent five years in la and now four years in atlanta and in that time i've played less and less jazz yeah and and my my playing and my overall stroke has gotten bigger and stronger and just because of the different gigs i've been playing but i'm i'm feeling a need now and i'm starting to embark on this journey like not necessarily back into the jazz world full yep. on, but just like, f- you know, getting that touch back. <laughs> yeah, man. No, um, definitely. So it so it's something that never left you. Yeah, just yeah. There's certain things that just stick, man. Yeah, and that it's. I think what I've always loved about jazz drummers is like how you feel every note, but you feel it because of their dynamics. Mm-hmm. So. You don't necessarily have to play super fast. You don't have to play super slow, but there's a where there's like a bridge in between where you can make every note like so authoritative that people feel it. Totally. And I think that's that happens when you lower the roof of your dynamics. Yep. So if you're playing, if your window of quiet is really quiet, and then you bring it up to medium, mm-hmm. they're gonna know. They're like, okay, like something's something's changing here. Right. And it doesn't have to be so hard. Like I would, dude. I remember. In college, I was playing so hard to where that I would like each night my hands would be bloody. Like I would literally mark up my hands and like, and in that moment I was like, I'm I'm not doing something right. Right. <laughs> this should not hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because I love music so much. Like this should not hurt. So yeah. then it just kind of shifted my brain of like, okay, well let's rethink this. Yeah. <laughs> Who's an example of a of a drummer in your mind that that uh, that has that dynamic range? Talking about like the low ceiling and just being able to make oh, small notes speak so loudly. I'll say this because I just watched their new, um, what's the, was it KXRP? Um, Brian Blade. Yeah. He's, yeah. I can talk all day about him. He's, he's incredible, man. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's just such an amazing player. He also sings and plays guitar, which is like another side. Yeah, that's another side. (laughs) But nah, he, his touch, man, it's like. When you watch him play, it's just like watching water flow. There's no, yeah. and I think that's where I'm. I'm trying to get um, to a part where when I'm playing, people can be like, you know, like it's just almost like autopilot, but not in a bad way. It's just like you're watching movement happen. Yeah, and it's not me trying to figure out, okay, where, like, where do I want to play this feel? Like, where does this note go? It's mm-hmm. like, no, you play, you know what you play and you make it authoritative but you don't overthink it right yeah oh man yeah (laughs) it's hard (laughs) it is it is it's a journey it's so easy to just get all the way inside your head no matter what style of music you're playing like it's 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 a hard thing to just let music flow let it happen whether it's improvised or repetitive or or whatever yeah um Another, like, the drummer that came to mind immediately when you said that was Peter Erskine. Yeah. And he, oh, yeah. I mean, for me, he's a drummer that comes to mind, like, multiple times a day. He's just, yeah. like, one of my guys. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, just the ability to kind of, like, hold a room with so few notes and such quiet notes. And, and yeah. It's a, the feeling of doing that is probably one of the most amazing feelings in the world. Yeah, it's where you feel the room shrink. Yep. So it's like you start off. So let's say I think uh, with this latest recording that we did with Lizzie and Stefan, there's this song on the record. I can't remember the name of it, but there's I start at the beginning. It's me and it's me and the bass player. So it's me and Shane Cole. 
Um, and when I start the groove, you just feel everyone shrink in. It's like everyone's like attentive. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes from there. But that feeling of watching the room shrink, it's like you can feel the intensity. Yeah. And it's like taking that and moving it. It's just, ah. Oh. Yeah. It's a really cool feeling. And it's the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, there's a there's a separate kind of rush from just, like, going all out. Yeah. And just beating the shit out of yeah. things and primal and, like, yeah. volume, just fire, all that yeah, shit. Yeah, man. But there's a separate kind of thing when you can you can just like bring a whole room in yep. into your into your set with just like a few little quiet notes. A little, yep, it's really You're, cool. There's a there's a uh, there's a video that I always show like my friends. Have you seen the Brian Blade video where he's he's playing this nightclub and his snare breaks? Yes, and the snare stand breaks. Right, and it kind of like drops playing. almost to the floor, and he keeps playing. Right. The dynamics in that. And at the end, you see him where he... It's like you're watching a person put their whole self into playing this. Yeah. But then after his solo, he goes right back down. And it's like, how are you doing this? Your snare broke (laughs) mid-solo and you kept playing, but the authority behind that and the intensity was still there. You didn't freak out because your snare broke. Right. You kept playing. Right. Like music doesn't stop because, you know, a right. Part that's of your that's gear. how strong his flow is. <laughs> Water flowing. <laughs> Literally. Like yeah. that's him. Yeah. It's so incredible to watch, but yeah. Who who else uh either in your young life or or now like who else has been really inspirational to you? Man, this is a good question. I have a lot of close friends that I really look up to. Like, I think other drummers that I used to look up to are awesome, but I don't have, there's no, so the person that I am, I'm very, I like things that are tangible. So, Mm -hmm. like, for instance, let's say, uh, no, I don't want to say that because then one day I might meet him and then this will will be awkward. (laughs) Um, But not, so like, I have like a really good friend, his name's Freddie Sheed. Mm -hmm. Um, He lives in London and... He's an amazing drummer, and we go back and forth, and, you know, we might FaceTime, and he'll show me a warm-up, or we might FaceTime and talk about, like, yo, what's the newest record you listen to? Like, what are you on right now? Like, what? And we just encourage each other, and we'll send each other videos, and, like, we'll just freak out because it's, it's one, just being a drummer and watching your friend do something and you, like, you know, praising them, but it's also, like, we have a relationship where like there's tangible change there's an actual relationship there's actual conversation there's actual things that i can pull from him and that he can pull from me Mm -hmm. but when there's other guys that i'm only watching on a youtube screen it's a it's a one it's a one-way street on that relationship it's not really a relationship because i'm just watching him right from a from a viewpoint that's not tangible (laughs) right so that's interesting because like we you know as drummers we talk all the time about our idols yeah our heroes yeah um but in most cases you're right that's a one-way relationship and it's not to say you can't get inspiration from it and and i know you definitely can't get influence and motivation and all that shit but i i understand what you're saying about like having an actual relationship with someone that you can give and take with oh yeah yeah um and like robbie's a perfect example yeah Um, oh yeah you know, getting inspiration from friends of yours, colleagues of yours who don't even play drums. You know, I was about to say a lot of times I get inspiration from guitar players, piano players, Nick Rosen. Yeah. Nick Rosen, another Man. guy. So me, Nick and Rob, we play, we've been playing together for uh, a few months now. And it's like, man, every time I'm with those guys, it's, I go home and I practice. Like there's, there's things that I just take away the way that Nick hears chords Mm -hmm. the way that robbie literally plays bass like just how he plays it's it's encouraging and it makes you hear things differently yeah yeah um and you you come away thinking like i want to play drums the way those guys play their instruments yes yes wholeheartedly Talk about your your move from Savannah to Atlanta. So I moved uh, I moved from Georgia Southern to Atlanta with a band. Um, it was some guys that I grew up with in college. Uh, let me see, 
the band name was the Paper Arcadia, <laughs> and we played uh, we played a, a I would say a good bit. It was mostly like cover stuff or like some um, corporate events or some of those type things. But yeah. um, we we uh, we were the worship band for. There's this foundation at Georgia Southern called the Wesley Foundation. It's like a Christian or organization that's a part. I think they're part of campus. Yeah, so they like are part of the campus. Um, and we would lead worship on Wednesday nights or whatever. Um, and we all just decided to move. And the funny thing was exactly how the Jacob gig happened. That was how that band happened. I wasn't the drummer. There's another guy. The Paper Arcadia gig, that was his gig. He was playing drums, and then Jason, the lead singer, uh, hit me up. This was like, I don't even know, like a few weeks before they were all moving. He was like, yo, bro, you should move with us. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? So I was like, all right, cool. And then we just moved to Atlanta. Were you done with school? I quit school. <laughs> I, I quit school mentally right. the day that I started. But... <laughs> I quit school a few months before that because I remember calling my aunt and she's like my mom, and I told her I was like, "Yeah, school is just not for me." Yeah. And she was like, "All right, cool. Yeah. Well, it's not you know, for everybody, especially with music." Yeah. yeah, and she was very encouraging in it, and yeah, I I moved, and the rest has been history, man. It's been a great. It's interesting how because you said in that gig also you were like kind of just like came in after. I was guy. just there. I was just standing. I was literally just watching, man. I, right. I wasn't. I had never played. To be completely honest, I had never played a gig with them. Yeah, never. Like I haven't even played like a cover band gig with them. Like, well, I can't. I can't tell you how many people on this interview have described like either either their current main gig or one of their major gigs yeah. in the past like they came in as a sub yeah and it ended up their gig like i i it, it's made me question how often somebody in uh a, a gig is like how how often does a band or an artist a producer yeah. like have their pick of anybody they want and they pick the guy and that's the guy versus you know the first call yeah. Just couldn't do it, and then the guy like I've only heard of that <laughs> happening from two artists, <laughs> and I, I'm I'm gonna be honest, two artists that are in L, well, they're I don't know where they're at, but I've only heard of that happening in L.A. from like two artists, mm-hmm. like but a, a good friend of mine, um, Daniel, he he always tells me about like sometimes they'll have like um, what am I trying to say auditions, yeah, um, but it's never for like really big artists, but I know two big artists that do hold auditions and they're like okay i want that guy to play Mm -hmm. or like i heard this crazy story i'm not gonna say who it is but apparently this artist during soundcheck they would have three variations of the same instrument and she would like dang i said she Um, (laughs) well it only narrows it down by half yeah so so (laughs) she would have the guys play and then be like okay you stop i want you to play and then that's how she would choose her band like at soundcheck for that gig? Uh, apparently, man. I don't... Hey, if that has happened to anyone who listens to this, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It does. Um, yeah, and music shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't have to... Because then that just makes you mentally like not even there because now you're thinking about, well, am I going to get the gig? Right, you're playing out of fear. Exactly, right. and that's... Man... That's oh, not a good God. place to be. Yeah. So, the, so the... Uh, Paper Arcadia moves to Atlanta. Yeah. Why was it just because Atlanta was like the nearest big city? Or to be honest, I have no idea. There there were things that I was told and some of the things happened, some of the things didn't happen and I think that's life with the band and mm-hmm. you know, things change, but still to this day I I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I was yeah. It's been so long, I can't even remember half of the stuff. Right. Yeah, I think it was... So let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. After the band just kind of didn't happen, uh, how long had you been in Atlanta by that point? Uh, I'd been in Atlanta for probably a year. Okay. So what what made you stay? What prevented you Uh, from saying, well, maybe I should go to New York. Maybe I should go back home. Maybe I should go to L.A. Part of it was I had gotten the taste of another life another mm-hmm. way of seeing music and it's, i just loved it man I, I, and at that point 
when the band kind of died down, I was doing more of open mics. I was doing Eddie Eddie's Attic and Red Clay and yeah. all these other different places that were like very awesome. It was very it was more intimate settings and I hadn't done that a yeah. lot and I met a buddy this is actually a, a great story. I met a, a good friend, his name's Abe Parker. Um while I was with the band, we played an open mic night at Copper Coin, which is in Woodstock. It's a coffee shop. Is it still there? Yeah, still wow. there. It's still thriving. Um, and I met Abe. <clears throat> actually, wrong. Yes, no, that's where I met Abe. I met Abe there. He performed by himself. And then I think I saw him again at Eddie's Addict. Yes. That's where we first talked because he would tell you that he walked up to me and said something about my playing and I was looking at my phone and I said, oh, thanks. And I didn't look at him. That's not true. (laughs) Disclaimer. I definitely looked at him, talked to him. Um, He's an incredible singer songwriter. And yeah, I, I got a bit of my start with him. We did a lot of weddings, a lot of, you know, corporate events, a lot of just everything, like intimate shows. Mm-hmm. We we actually did a tour um, from where he's from in Ohio, just me and him and his Honda Accord, and it was like some of the you know some of the best times in my life. And just getting started, not knowing you know what the next gig was gonna pay, not knowing you know whether we were gonna make it on time. Just all of that happening, I wasn't used to. You know, right, I'm right. fresh out of college where everything's there in a location where it's like, yeah, I can go grab lunch out of the cafeteria, but seeing life in this other way where it's like, dang, I got to go out and like grind it out and like, you know, provide for myself and yeah. do it. And music is my vehicle to getting to that, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And it, I mean, it sounds like that relationship just kind of grounded you in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, with, without that, you might not have any reason to stay here. Yeah, I would definitely say that because from him, me being with Abe is how I got connected with the church that um, I'm a, I'm still a part of, and that's how I met all of my buddies that are in CCM world, and that's how I met actually that's how I met Daniel, who's the guitar player for Jacob. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for that one relationship, I wouldn't have I I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Yeah, and that's not to say that. You know, Abe's in control. No, it's just saying that that <laughs> one relationship led me to a bunch of other relationships that has led me to here. Yeah, that's everybody has that some version of that story. Yeah, um, how just that one relationship or that one chance meeting in some cases led to a really huge thing or a bunch of different things. Yeah, man. Um, and it's yeah. I mean, it's the frustrating the frustrating thing about that. I mean, it's cool because uh, it just gives you kind of um it it makes it easy to be optimistic yep. about about you know you you might meet somebody tomorrow somebody might be at the gig you might yeah. whatever um but it's also frustrating in that it makes it just random and it it kind of makes it feel like it's a little bit out of your control like all you can do is just meet people try to create relationships yeah. try You're to maintain relationships right. be genuine right. in in the first moment with somebody like yep. Um, so yeah, it's just, (laughs) it's this double-edged sword of like, that's so cool, but damn it, I wish I had more control. (laughs) You're man, you're preaching. (laughs) Absolutely right. This episode is brought to you by drumsellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free. And the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. I wouldn't say if Jacob was here, he'd be like, what are you talking about? I wouldn't say he's like Post Malone, but I, I would say the way that both artists, they take away. Like Post Malone has a song with an acoustic guitar, 808s, and, you know, drums on it. And it mm-hmm. sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Jacob has done the exact same thing with blues music. Like he has this song called uh, "Part Time Love" that sounds like barbershop blues, but it's 808s in it, like mm. hard, like I mean, like loud, like, and it's amazing. Like he has ballads that are made the same way. So when it comes to taking different genres and meshing them together, Jacob 
He's a genius actor. Yeah. Man. And just taking different sounds. Like, you know, there's one sound from this vibe and another. Oh, like, yeah. like you talked about mixing 808 stuff with yeah. some country western stuff. Oh, yeah. And I I love that style of production that is it's kind of minimalist. Yeah. It's not it's not stacking up the the sonic landscape with just shitloads of yeah, stuff. Just whatever. It's yeah. just a couple of like carefully chosen, yep. carefully placed things oh, and it, definitely. talk about creating a vibe and like Man. bringing you into a, a little room um I, another song that comes to mind is uh that's is it that's just the way you make me feel janelle monet oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah just a yeah. couple i mean it's like a prince song it's just i was about to say man she's, yeah. she's got all those prince vibes like it's so good yeah yeah i'm i'm so attracted to to that kind of music that's just yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't have anything more than what it needs. Yeah. In terms of tones, in terms of parts, in terms yep. of it's just like so deliberate. Instead of throwing everything at it and it's, just yeah, there's some music these days, like especially in, I don't know. I'll be watching TV and a commercial will come on yeah. or um, some of the shit that you know my students are into, yeah. and it's just so <laughs> much sound. Yeah. There's so much going on in four bars of music. I'm like, ah, it it stresses me out. Yeah. <laughs> It's almost like someone's in a room and they're like, all right, we're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Like they don't they don't need humans. They just yeah. have it's all in the box. So yeah. there's no limit. I mean, it's it's another double-edged sword. There's no yeah. limit as to the variety of sounds or the number of sounds that you can stack up there, but yeah. that gets a person in trouble. Yeah. Real oh, fast. Yeah. oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> Definitely agree with that, man. Do you find that on the drums? Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, and I, I, I'm not, man. I, I love, I love everybody. I don't, you know. Everyone has their 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 own thing, and I think it's amazing. There's this young guy. Um, what is his name? JD Beck. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of this kid, you need to go on Instagram and right. listen to him. So he, um, I think he's out of Texas. And I first saw him, he was under Sput C. Wright and um, Cleon and, like, some of those drummers. And But the way that this kid plays, he's, like, fast. When I mean fast, like, it's incredible. But his style of playing is, like, it's another world. But I see him playing the way that he plays and the way that some other guys play, they're different, even though they both might play fast, but mm-hmm. he has his own sound. Right. I see other guys that play fast that just play fast to play fast. Yep. And that and that's the that is where I could say that's just people throwing things up against the wall and seeing what sticks. Now, I by all means do what you do, like, but I will say this, I've never been on a gig where I've had to play fast. <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> And that's just, and I mean, maybe it's the type of gig that that I am on. Maybe it's those arrangements. But I've right. had gigs that have arrangements that are lush, that are busy. But it's not to the point to where, you know, I'm playing linear fills over right. an eight bar phrase. You're you're the first person that's just like said that straight up, because a lot of people on this podcast, and I've I've said something like that too, where you're like. Um, you know, like playing fast, you like yeah. crazy chops. Like it has its place. Oh yeah, it does. But I, I feel like I feel like that's a comment that people. That's like a that's like a qualifier that people use yeah. in order to not piss some people off. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but no, nobody's put it like that bluntly. Yeah. To be frank, you you just said like I have never been on a gig where I had to play fast. Yeah. And 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 by me saying that, I will say maybe it's the gig. I, I will say. Yeah, I just it's just not I, I don't I haven't seen it to the point to where it's been called for. Now there's there's other gigs that where people have had to play fast, but it's tasteful. For instance, Brian Fraser Moore. Sure. The JT gig. Right. Sounds amazing. Like right. Aaron Spears. The Ariana gig. I, I think the, the, the best you can say about it, or maybe the best I can think about it, is like I, I think you're right. I don't know if there is a single gig in the world where you're required to play fast other than maybe like a, a hardcore bebop yeah, thing say, yeah. where you got to go ding, 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 for 10 yeah. minutes. Other than that, 
there there are gigs where like that kind of speed, that kind of chops is allowed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a single gig in the world where it's required. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And 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 I used to be, like, this is me being honest. I used to be nervous. I mean, nervous. I would literally practice for days. You know, chops, mm-hmm. chops, like just chops. This was like me playing gospel days. I would just practice like all day chops because I would feel like, to me, I'd feel like if I didn't have chops, I wasn't, I wasn't a valid or legit drummer. Mm-hmm. And then I got into playing other gigs with other artists, and I never once was asked to play a chop. Or if anything, they said, "Yo, can you play less?" Right. And that's one thing that always stuck with me. It was like, well. I've spent all this time chopping out, but they're saying play less. Mm-hmm. I want to play less and play less very well. Yep. So that's been my thing. And I think when most people hear me play, that's the first thing that they say is like, bro, your your pocket, like how do you and that's super encouraging because I didn't I, I haven't always played like this. Like mm-hmm. this has been a long journey. Like I said, like it's it's taken twenty seven years and Yeah, man. I used to yeah, I yeah. used to I used to play chops. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean I think we all did. Most yeah. you know, most young drummers mm-hmm. um you know, like are, are attracted to that. Yeah. At one point or another, whether it's a gospel chopper or, yeah. you know, Neil Peart yeah. R. I. P. Yeah, um, about to say rest in peace. Yeah, I mean he was he was one of my guys and, and he you know, he he played a shitload of notes. Yeah. Like a lot of fast stuff, a yeah. lot of choppy stuff, but um but again, still just so musical and so yeah, imaginative and and all that. Um, but uh, I love I love the approach both on the drums and from a production standpoint of just like, what do we need? Yeah, can we can we use less? And then we can go we, from there, man. Right. I, I I I like go back. There's days where like I if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or I feel like you know I feel like shit as a drummer. Because those days happen. Like, we have good days where we feel great, and we have days where we play a gig, and it's just like, dang, I'm slopping it up. Right. You know? I'll go back, and I'll listen to older records. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's MJ, whether it's Donny Hathaway's live record, whether it's, you know, old Al Green. And I've realized on those old records, there's so many songs where, like, the drummer would only play the fill-in to Tom 1 and never uses his toms again. Yep. Or he'll only hit the ride once. And it's like, how does the song feel so well just using kick, snare, and hat? But there's some way that he's made it feel that good. Yeah. And you feel every note behind. It's like, my God. And I think maybe part of the reason is that um, that music kind of predates the idea of a star drummer. Yeah. You know? Like, in, in that era, pretty much the only star drummer was Buddy Rich. Yeah. And and only Buddy could be Buddy. Yep. And nobody, you know, the the guy the guy doing the the Motown session yep. wasn't at all trying to be Buddy Rich. Yeah. He was he was he was himself. Right. He was himself, and he was for he was himself for that music. Yeah. And I think the idea, like you know, with the advent of of Buddy and um, I guess Bonham to an extent, and yeah. Neil Peart, and yeah. then like on into the eighties, they're like drumming just turned into this Olympic event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro, it's you know, a um, a and and I think you know m- there's some ways in which music and drumming has has suffered as a result. Peter Erskine, going back to him, I was talking with him uh, about big band drumming. Yeah, and and he was like, you know, as because his his favorite big band drummer of all time is Mel Lewis. Okay, and he was like, you know, Buddy Buddy is the champion. As amazing as Buddy was. Yeah. Uh, it, he said, "I'm kind of. It just disappoints me a little bit that guys like Mel Lewis aren't also that big, and and everybody holds up Buddy as yep. the prototype yep. for big band drumming, yep. and he's really not. Yep. Like he's one, like it, it would be like holding up Neil Peart as the prototype for rock drumming. Yep. You're absolutely right. He's singular. He's one of a yep. kind for that band. Yep." Whereas Mel Lewis was like in in Erskine's opinion, yeah. like that's what big band drumming should sound like. That's what young jazz drummers should strive for in yeah. their in their big band drumming. Not Buddy. Yeah, no, nah, you're yeah. absolute man, <laughs> bro. You're preaching, man. Uh, 
That's what we so do on this podcast. I yeah, just, I bro. just love the sound in. of my own voice. That's why, we, <laughs> that's why we do it. So I can talk shit. <laughs> well, I love it, man. This is great. Seriously. It's so good. Cool. Well, thanks for coming over, man. Dude, definitely, man. And uh, we gotta, we gotta hang more. I yeah, we. Definitely this is either have the to. first or second time we've met in person. Yeah. But uh, when you're not, when you're not in Russia, <laughs> when you're in town, yeah, we gotta, man. We gotta hang out. Definitely, man. This has been great. Cool. Thanks for coming, man. Oh, definitely, man. Thanks again to HB for that talk. Be on the lookout for him on tour with Jacob Banks and others. As you heard at the top of the episode, Matt and I will be part of Lane Music's Drum Day event this Saturday, January 25th at 1 p.m. We're excited to be a part of it alongside Jared Pope, Ben Hans, and Jeff Brown. So if you're in the Nashville area, please join us at Lane Music. It should be a good hang. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram or through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. On that homepage, you'll see links for Patreon and PayPal. We hope you'll see fit to support us in that way. Next week, Matt Krause will be presenting our tribute episode to Neil Peart, which will feature thoughts on The Professor from an all-star group of our past guests. Hope you'll check that out, and as always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.